Well, tonight we return to the book of 1 Corinthians, and the discussion on spiritual gifts. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, finishing the chapter, verse 14, through the first half of verse 31. I guess technically we won't finish the last half of that verse, and thus the chapter, but by and large, the whole chapter. As you turn there, I want to remind you perhaps about something you know. Today in our American culture, diversity is celebrated. Is that not true? Unfortunately, unity is not. But clearly, when God put together the church, while he created it with great diversity, his intention is one of unity. Follow along as I read, beginning at verse 14, picking up the discussion after he has just declared that we were all made to drink of one spirit in verse 13. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the heads of the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? So we consider this reading of God's word. Let us bow briefly in prayer. Lord, grant us wisdom and understanding from this, your word. Inspire us with ears to hear and hearts to understand, to gain wisdom and to mature in Christ by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that the words spoken here would be consistent with your own and the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Or else, Lord, let these things uh, things pass away and never be heard from again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Perhaps you saw in the news, I don't know how much news you follow, it just happened to be an article I ran across, the controversial news that, or the news that controversial actress Hedy Lamarr died. Some of you who are older might know who that is. Many of us who are younger don't really remember the things that she was in. She was controversial because of some of the things that she played in or acted in. And she was certainly not a role model for others. In fact, she even spent most of the rest of her life at the end in total seclusion, only talking to her own relatives by telephone. But you may not know that Hedy Lamarr was also an inventor. Evidently, she was quite intelligent, was quite the engineer and quite the inventor, even gaining patents from the U.S. government. One of her inventions, although she never gained monetary value from it, was actually crucial to the later development of Wi-Fi and Bluetooth technology. It is said that her gift for engineering and design began at age five, when she had a music box that she took apart and put back together. Now, if you're like me and you put something, you take something apart, if you try to put it back together, there's always some pieces left over. And somehow or other, when that happens, it doesn't seem to work the same way. Now, Hedy Lamarr evidently knew what she was doing in putting this music box back together, and even at age five, she was able to do this. But if I were to take that same music box and take it apart and try to put it back together, I think I probably would struggle. And yet, we understand from that little example, every part of that music box, every part of some organization or some particular uh, design like that, Every part is important. They serve different uses, different purposes. Some of them to create sound, some of them to let the engineering marvels work. But every part has a purpose and function for the whole. That is what God is saying here about the church. We could take the church apart and look at all the gifts that were given to every single member and focus so much on those gifts that sometimes we can lose the purpose of the whole. You see, as we look at this passage, we're reminded of several things about the body called the church. First of all, there's one body and yet many members. Secondly, each part is needed. And finally, it is the body of Christ with individual members. First of all, at verse 14, we're reminded of these things. as the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And as he describes these things, he kind of tells us some, some ludicrous things. After all, what part or who has a body where the foot speaks and is able to say something like, because I'm not a hand, I'm not really a part of the body. Now that sounds absolutely ridiculous. But Paul uses that ridiculous illustration to remind us that just because one part does not function the same way as another part, does not mean that it's not part of the body. You see, even if one part debases itself, it is still of the body. Now, of course, we know that when I'm standing up here, my foot is not going to speak to my hand and say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Obviously, that's not the case. But what he's looking at is the church. 
someone who has one gift and is looking at someone else that either has the same gift in different measure or has a different gift should not say to that individual or say to themselves rather that because I'm not like that person with that particular gift, perhaps with that strength of that gift or with a gift that I would rather I have, I'm not needed. I'm not really a part of the body. And Paul says that's not the case. He goes on to use the illustration, verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body. This is a reminder that no matter what your gifts are, whether they're on the forefront or whether their abilities are, are very much illustrated and in front of everyone or whether they're behind the scenes and used in ways in which people do not see, every part of the body is important. Verse 17 says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? You see, no part can perform another part's function. We need every single part. Just as the human body needs both an ear to hear and an eye to see, so we need the different parts and the different gifts that God has given us in order for the whole body to function properly. After all, what would happen if we came to a church that was so disorganized we had chairs on their sides and not organized you could not even sit in the worship service? What would happen if there was no way to hear what was going on because everything was muffled in the sanctuary? What, what would happen, after all, if you went to a church dinner and there was no food? What would happen in these circumstances? The church would not be able to function. So he reminds us that every part is a part of the body and every part has its function for the church. And why is that? It's because of verse 18. Because God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. You see, God arranged each member as he wanted. God is sovereign over the church. We haven't been able to go out into society and say, okay, I want you, 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 and you to come to our church because I like the way we might work together. No, God does that. God arranges the church. God mixes it together, so to speak, and he brings it together, arranges here is the word to, to mix together, to blend. And he blends the church together. And notice what it says, as he chose. This word for chose is the word wished or wanted. As God wanted, he arranged or blended together the church with all of its diversity, even in spiritual gifts. If all, he says, were a single member... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You see, as we look at all the members in the church, the word for part is the word member, same word. And here it is, a reminder that, that God has put it all together. He's put it all together with all kinds of different gifts, all kinds of variety from backgrounds. If we look at other places that Paul has written, he reminds us that it's both free and slave. It's both male and female. It's from every background, from every strata of society. And God has arranged the church as he desires. But the issue here, 
that he's addressing is sometimes we as individual members of the body get discouraged. The issue is discouragement for those who may consider that they have lesser gifted parts. And he says, no, that's not the case. We need each one. Over the last several years, it's become evident in the sports world how important it is for a bench player. In professional sports, both in basketball, they now have the sixth man awards. These are the guys who don't start, but they come off the bench and play a very important role. They don't get their names announced in the starting lineup. They don't get all the accolades and the photo shoots, and perhaps their their new uh, financial agreements that they come to are not as high. But without these six men, a basketball team often will not succeed. Baseball teams also have created now utility awards, even gold gloves for a utility player or someone who is considered something like a sixth man in basketball. And we understand that because of the length of a long season of games, without the guy coming off the bench, the team is often weak enough not to make the victory column as often as they would like. You see, every single member of the church and every person who has gifts within the church because they're a believer in Jesus Christ is important. Although there are many members and with many different gifts and they will look different and some of them will be obvious and some of them will not be so obvious yet your gift whatever it is for the sake of the church is important for the one body and he follows this up with the obvious thing what we've already described every part is needed verse 21 again this strange ludicrous illustration the eye cannot say to the hand I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. In other words, one part cannot say that they do not need the other parts. After all, if you don't have enough of those parts, you don't live, and if you don't have all of the parts, you can't function properly. And so here it is, each part needs the others. Verse 22, on the contrary, The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Now, that's a whole mouthful, isn't it? We understand by this passage, he's saying seemingly weaker parts are really indispensable. He says the parts of the body that seem to be weaker. Now it seems to be that he's particularly indicating our internal organs. Those things that we have to protect more than others. In fact, we understand that when we see the value of the kidneys and the stomach and the heart and all those different organs that are within, they are weak. They cannot survive when they are not protected. And yet, so what do we do? We, of course... On those parts, bestow the greater honor. They have to be protected and covered. We bestow honor on less honorable parts, it says. The weaker parts are indispensable. Now he reminds us that there are honorable parts and parts that are not so honorable. And of course, here he's speaking rather crudely and understanding body parts. 
And we understand that what he means are those parts that we don't expose to others, if you know what I mean. He says, on one hand, we bestow honor on less honorable parts. We bestow greater modesty on unpresentable parts. After all, we know that someone who has a beautiful face, they're going to let that face just be in display and they're not going to do a lot to it. But if we have parts that are not so beautiful or not so presentable, we will cover them up. We will protect them and give them modesty. So here he is saying, and a reminder of this, in somewhat a crude fashion with the body, reminding us of all the different parts of the body, not just the presentable parts, the eyes, the nose, the ears, the mouth, the things that we see on an everyday basis, but even those things that are covered. And he reminds us that all of those parts together are important. Why does he say this? He says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. You see, God has so composed the body to give greater honor to the part that lacked it. In other words, those who may have gifts behind the scenes that are not presented in front of the whole congregation, God will give them honor. Those that have gifts that are presentable to the congregation, he doesn't have to give them the same measure of honor, although they all gain the honor together as the body of Christ. And there's a purpose for all this. Just as there is a purpose for the body, every part of our body works together for the health and vitality of the individual. So too, the church has a purpose. When God ordains and arranges the parts of the body of the church, what does he do this for? In this particular passage, he tells us this, that we may have the same care for one another, that there would be no division. Now he's speaking to a church in Corinth that is struggling with division and strife and schism. There are those who want to follow one person, perhaps because of the, tip, the, the particular type of speaking or teaching gifts that they have. So some are following Peter, some are following Paul. On the other hand, there are those who, who look at their gifts and either consider their gifts less important than other gifts and are jealous of others, or there are those who say, look at my gift, I don't have to put up with these other gifts. And he says, yet at the same time, what is the purpose of these gifts? What is the purpose of the people that God has put together in the church? What is the purpose of the church together with all of its parts in one sense, as he describes here, is that we would love one another. You see, he reminds us how that takes place. If one member suffers, all suffer together. Perhaps one of the most touching things that was mentioned in our congregational meeting this morning was when Bev Smith said to us, I am so appreciative for all your prayers and efforts of this church for I might not be here if apart from that. You see, when she suffered, we were suffering. When she was suffering the ravages of cancer and the treatments that take place, we understand that we were suffering with her. And so, too, we are reminded that if one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is not like the world where there is competition and there is jealousy and strife. You see, in the world, 
As some one person is honored, another becomes jealous of the honoring. And rather than together rejoicing at the honor of the one, so often the one rejoices and the others despair. So the issue here that he is addressing primarily is not the discouragement of lesser gifted parts, but is the issue that those with lesser gifts might be despised. In other words, there are those who might have gifts that seem on the forefront, that seem very important to the church, and yes, they are important to the church, but when they look at the other gifts, they say, basically, I don't really need that particular gift. It's not quite as important as mine, and they will despise these gifts. But the understanding of the way God puts the church together is this. Every part is needed so that together they can build one another I'm sure some of you have heard when a president leaves office that the White House staff could tell you how each presidential family treated them while living in the executive mansion. When a household like that has to work, you have all kinds of people, don't you? You have security people, you have people who cook the food, you have people who clean, you have others who uh, create Uh, the need for appointments and all those things, all the people, the probably hundreds of people that work in this executive mansion on behalf of the people, they all have to work together for it to function. But how we together would treat those in that house tells us about our character and our understanding of the function of that place. You see, this is a reminder that both the gifts and the people who have been given these gifts are crucial. All of them have value. All of them because God puts together the members of the church with these various honorable or not so honorable, at least in the eyes of the world, gifts. All of them together have an intrinsic value for God's purpose of building up the church and glorifying God. So then we get to the actual list in chapter 12. Now, there was another list earlier in the chapter. This is a second list in which he gives some of the gifts. Verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are reminded that, yes, together we form the body of Christ, but individually we have certain gifts. He begins to list them. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of languages or tongues. What does he mean by this? The first three are not so much gifts as they are people. They're the prophets, the apostles, and the teachers. And he even ranks them in order. He says the most important here, in essence, are the apostles. Why are they important? They're important because they're the particular individuals Jesus himself called as eyewitness testimony to the life and work of Jesus Christ. They are the ones who would pass on the traditions, that is, the true teaching about Jesus and his word to the people of the church. Secondly, were the prophets, those who would take the revealed word of God by the Holy Spirit in those days to reveal to the people Remember, the New Testament had not been completed when this letter was written. And so prophecies were still important for the church in that sense. The canon was not closed. Thirdly, there were the teachers. 
those who would teach people the word of God, those who would teach them God's will for their lives, those who would teach them the doctrines of grace, those who would teach them the wonders of God. And he says these offices are very important and there are those people in the church. But then he lists the next grouping. Miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. It's unclear whether he's saying necessarily that they go in that order in importance, although it could possibly be that that's what he's describing. Miracles and gifts of healing both appeared on the other list in this chapter and appear in the other lists of the spiritual gifts. Again, these, these gifts were particularly powerfully demonstrated and were in the forefront of the congregation. But notice he's saying individually you have these gifts, but these gifts are for the purpose of building each other up. The next two gifts that are mentioned are perhaps unclear to us. What does it mean to have a gift of helping or aiding others? We don't know exactly what that entailed. What is the gift of administration or administrating? Again, we have some difficulty in understanding exactly what we're talking about, although we know that some people certainly have the gift of arranging and putting things into order and administrating different types of ministry and so forth. It's interesting to note this is the only list upon which these two gifts are mentioned. We don't know. And then the last gift, various kinds of languages. Here is a reminder of perhaps the topic that he will bring up, especially in chapter 14, a topic which has divided that congregation and a topic which has provided all kinds of sources of division. And he's reminding them that each of them are gifted with either these or other spiritual gifts that have been mentioned either in this passage in chapter 12 or in other letters of Paul. But why does he list all these gifts. Is this list for us to focus on each gift and determine exactly what was meant by each gift and examine ourselves to find out what gifts we have in order to serve the church? Well, he actually is saying these things. First of all, a reminder, God appointed these things in the church. This is one of the most important teachings of this. It appears twice in this particular context. Verse 18 Remember the word, as he chose or wanted. It is the same word here. God has wanted or appointed in the church all of these offices and gifts. This is a reminder that the focus is not so much on the gifts as on the God who gave them. God put together these gifts for the purpose of his choosing within the church. The other thing he does is he reminds us of these facts by these rhetorical questions. Verse 29 asks several questions. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with languages, do all interpret? Of course, what is he doing by asking these rhetorical questions? What's the answer? No, of course not. Each one is gifted with a different gift mix. Some would have just one gift, Maybe the gifts on this list, maybe a gift that's not on this list. But he says, in essence, not all possess all gifts. We can't expect to have every single gift. 
Even today, there are churches that say, if you don't have X gift, you're not really an equal believer. You don't really have a part of us. There are those who would say, if you don't have more than one gift, you're not quite as important. Or because you don't have this gift or that gift, I don't see why you're here. And he says, no, that's not true. All possess a gift or more, but not all possess all gifts. And then he says this, earnestly desire the higher gifts. That seems to contradict all the teaching that he's had together so far, doesn't it? Before we get there, I wanted to mention here just a reminder of diversity. Diversity in our culture has a mantra. Perhaps you've heard that, DEI. In Myrtle Beach government, there is a DEI department and a coordinator. In many of our schools across the country, there is DEI. In our corporations, there is DEI. Perhaps you know what the D stands for. It stands for diversity. The problem with this is not the fact that we want diversity. The problem is that the D, along with the E and the I, which refer to equity and inclusion, has become, rather than a reality, a goal. You see, in the culture around us, they consider diversity to be a goal so that everything is wrapped around making diversity a goal for which to achieve. But diversity in the scriptures is a reality of God's church. Remember, he calls people from different tribes and languages and tongues. He calls them from different backgrounds. He calls them from different socioeconomic strata. He calls them from different ideas and different backgrounds and gifts them in different ways. In God's church, the reality is there already is diversity. But the goal, then, is not diversity. The goal is this. If we include this passage, one of the goals is that we would together love one another from all these backgrounds, from all these purposes. If we look at the Ephesians chapter on spiritual gifts, we understand that all these gifts in diversity are for this purpose, for equipping the saints for ministry, for building up Christ's body until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity. You see, our goals from great diversity. We love to see people from different backgrounds, some that grew up in very humble circumstances and some that might come from very wealthy backgrounds, some that come from our country and some that come from other countries, people that look different, people that act different, some people that are creative and some people that don't seem to have a creative bone in their body. From all these different diverse backgrounds, God has put together the church so that we cannot say, because you're like this, God may not call you. We don't know whom he will call. We don't know whom he will blend into the church and arrange together. But we do know this. From all these backgrounds, all this diversity, he gives us different gifts in diversity so that we can together be one body of Christ to glorify him and to build up the church until the day that Jesus comes back. Now, are there higher gifts? Paul says yes. Does that mean they're more important than the other gifts? No. Paul has also said that. 
But without these higher gifts, it would be impossible for the church to function. And yet at the same time, with these lower gifts, it would be near impossible for the church to function as well. Why should we desire these higher gifts? It's because of this. We want to pass on faithful teaching, preaching, and discipleship to the ones that go behind us. We want to tell them of the wonderful news of God's glory and grace. And when we desire those gifts, what we're doing is we're studying God's word. And we're praying to him. And we're seeking him and being drawn closer to him. Because unless we're closer to the Lord and studying his word, we cannot apply these gifts appropriately. So to desire, to desire these gifts is not to desire them at the exclusion of others, is not to think that they're more important or better than the others, but is to understand that these are crucial for a healthy church to have men and women who have teaching gifts and who have the ability to pass on the wonders of God's word to others. So are the lower gifts unimportant? No. All the gifts as Paul says, come from God. He brings people with all these gifts from the diverse backgrounds that they have, and they're all designed to work together for his glory in unity in Christ. Now next week, we'll turn to the way these gifts are to be used to his glory, but this teaching is to remind us that all these gifts are important for the sake of the church because God gave them to us. He arranged them according to his purposes. And every single gift is important before God, needed for the building up of the church and for caring for one another, for those who suffer, for those who rejoice at honoring. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the different gifts, the diversity of the church. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to work towards the diversity of the church, but we use the diversity that you give us for your purposes, for your glory, and for our good. Lord, help us not to despise others. Lord, help us not to be jealous of others. Help us not to debase ourselves over the gifts that we have been given, but Lord, help us to use the gifts you've given us that you might be glorified in the church might benefit. We pray in Jesus' name.